Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic in the Moon podcast. As always, I'm your host, David, and this week we are continuing on our series of a pagan and polytheist dissection of the Bible, and this is going to be on the book of Genesis, chapter 3. And this is a lot to talk about, so I'm going to get right into it. Okay, verse 1. Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals that the gods had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that the God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, the God said you must not eat from it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die, for the gods know that when you eat from it, your eyes will open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. There's a lot here. There's a lot of baggage here. This has been used to justify, you know, sinful nature, inherent wickedness, and things like that. And let's put some of this in context. Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals the gods had made. So a lot of theologians identified the serpent with Satan, um, saying that Satan comes in the form of a serpent or speaks through a serpent. And this is said to explain the serpent's ability to speak. But later passages in the Bible indicate that that's not necessarily the truth. (laughs) Ancient Jewish interpretations explain the reference to the serpent in more of a literal manner and say that all the animals could speak. Um, There's another text that says... On that day, the man and woman were expelled from the orchard. The mouth of all the beasts were shut, Um, which means that before what we'd call the fall of man, that all animals could speak. So that's not something that was a unique feature um, of the serpent. So it was more shrewd than any of the wild animals. And the word shrewd uh, from Hebrew comes from the word arum, which just means clever. And this idea kind of polarizes into nuance, cunning in a negative sense, and prudent in a positive sense, which we see further references to later on in the book of Job and the book of Proverbs. This same polarization of meaning can be detected in several related words from the same root. Um, and the negative nuance is usually said to apply here when the snake is trying to talk Eve into disobeying God by using lies and half-truths. But we see here that maybe that's not the case. Is it really true that the God said you must not eat of the tree of the orchard? So he's getting them to question. This is notable change between what the gods had said and what the woman says. The God said you may freely eat, but the woman says we may eat. Her words do not reflect the sense of eating to her heart's content that we saw in the previous chapter. But concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, the gods said, you must not eat from the fruit, you must not touch it, or else you will die. The woman adds something to God's prohibition. And I'm saying the woman because Eve has not been named for her yet, even though we know that that's who it's referring to. Um, So she adds to God's prohibition more than what the God said. The God said in the last chapter, just to not eat it. But she is now saying we also cannot touch it. Um, And this is kind of as if she wanted to set that limitation on herself by means of exaggeration. 
The serpent says, you surely will not die. So he's kind of just blatantly contradicting what was said before. What the God said, surely you will die. Or The construction makes this emphatic because normally the negative particle kind of precedes the finite verb. So this is trying to say the serpent is a liar and he's denying the clear penalty for disobedience that was discussed previously. Um, and the serpent is assumed to be more aware of what the God said than the woman was. For God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like divine beings, knowing good from evil. Um, a more literal translation, instead of eyes opened, would be you will have understanding and you will acquire the knowledge of good and evil. Like divine beings, like the gods, like God. Um, this could be taken as an adjective, like you will be like the gods themselves, the knowers of good and evil. On the other hand, it could be taken as more of an attributive adjective, like you will become gods, plural, you will become new gods. And this is where, again, I think the case for there being one supreme god in the biblical account is pretty weak because there's so many references to divine beings in the plural. Um, there just is. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, that it was attractive to the eye, that it was desirable for making one wise, she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. So when she saw that it was attractive and produced good food, um, we kind of know that, right? Because in the previous chapter, the gods already said that every type of tree and every type of plant was good for eating for all of the animals. That it was desirable for making one wise. Um, a more literal translation from Hebrew could say that good was the tree for food and that desirable it was to the eyes and desirable for wisdom. So one connection between moral wisdom and the knowledge of good and evil and making one wise. So the quest for wisdom can follow the wrong course is what we're being taught here. That desire for knowledge is good, but it can be applied incorrectly. But this is where I personally take more of what some people might call a Gnostic um, perspective of like, and this is also, I think, where we see examples of patriarchy in the text, because long before the biblical texts were written, the serpent was the symbol of the goddess, the great goddess, the Ouroboros, for example, the image of the circular serpent eating its own tail. It's a cycle of life and death and rebirth. So by framing the serpent as being evil, and the temperature or the, the reason that humanity fell into sinfulness is an attack on women. And it's an attack on the goddess because it's elevating the supreme divine masculine over this symbol that was inherently feminine and also blaming the human woman Eve for being tempted and being weak. So um, if we take more of a Gnostic perspective of this and say that the serpent is the companion of the goddess and that it is a bringer of wisdom, that it's showing that these arbitrary rules and limitations um, are holding you back from knowing what is true, then it's actually a good thing that they ate from the fruit. Okay, picking up in verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the gods moving about, 
And this is also where we see distinction because up to this point, the word that is usually translated as God, capital G, was Elohim, which is plural, the gods. And that's why I had been reading it from chapter one as the gods, plural. But now we see the word Yahweh, which is plural. It's referring to one one particular being. So this is also where we kind of get into a Gnostic interpretation because this one particular God is not the council of all of the God. It's, it's just Yahweh. It's one particular deity that demands obedience, that demands you blindly follow him. And this is why we see the serpent as a liberator and as a companion of the goddess. Okay, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of God, singular, moving about in the orchard at the breezy time of the day, and they hid from God among the trees of the orchard. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? The man replied, I heard you moving about in the orchard, and I was afraid because I am naked, and I hid. The, lo- <laughs> the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman whom you gave me gave me the fruit, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate it. A lot here. <laughs> So the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord moving about. Um, This comes from the word halak, which means to walk, to go. They heard God walking. Um, And this kind of assumes that God took human form and that he's physically walking in the orchard with them. So they hid. Um, They hid themselves. God calls and says, where are you? And the Hebrew word is kada, meaning call. Um, Basically, he summoned him. He's like telling him to come out. He says, where are you? The question is probably rhetorical um, rather than literal because it was spoken to the man who answers it with an explanation of why he was hiding rather than like his actual location. And also it's assumed that God knew where he was anyway. The man replied, I heard you moving about the orchard and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And the Lord said, who told you? that you were naked. And again, it's assumed that God knows the answer already, but he wants the man to clarify. I'm also, instead of saying God, because I don't like the idea of there being one correct God, I'm going to say Yahweh, because that this is the antagonistic specific deity that we are referring to now. Did you eat from the tree? I commanded you not to eat from. Uh, the Hebrew word, did you order, did you, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word order did you from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from eat? It was kind of awkward in English, but it's arranged that way to emphasize that their eating of the fruit was a deliberate act of disobedience. And again, this is showing that like Yahweh is demanding authority and demanding that he be obeyed without question, which is very different from the previous two chapters where the council of the many gods, the Elohim, the gods plural, were very much not like that. And this is where we start to see like the pre-Christian, the pre-Jewish polytheism being kind of shoehorned into the character of Yahweh. So this is implying that they deliberately disobeyed. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Hebrew construction here um, is interesting because it uses the pronoun she gave. Um, And basically he's throwing the blame onto the woman. He's saying the man is blaming the woman for causing him to make the mistake. And again, this is where we see 
the patriarchy. It's the woman's fault. It's the serpent who is a messenger of the goddess. It's her fault. It's the it's Eve's fault for tricking the man who otherwise would have been without blame. So the Yahweh said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And again, this is him asking a rhetorical question because he, of course, knows the answer or it's implied that he knows the answer. She says, the serpent tricked me and I ate it. Um, and the Hebrew word for tricked is hifil or nasha. And this is usually in other places in the Bible. It's used in the context of a king misleading people into a sense of false confidence. So we see examples of this in Second Kings and Chronicles, um, lots of places. Or even in sometimes uh, of Yahweh deceiving people on purpose to punish them as a form of judgment. Verse 14. Yahweh said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the wild beasts and all the living creatures in the fields. So the translation from curse from Hebrew is adar, which just means to be punished or banished. It's not a curse in like a baneful magic way. Um, it's punished. You are punished more severely than the other animals is what he's saying. On your belly, you will crawl and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And this is, again, where we see the serpent, um, not as the enemy, but as the ally. Because it says you will crawl on your belly and eat the dust. But is that really a curse if the very nature of a serpent is to crawl on its belly anyway? If you're functioning in the way that you were created to function, is that really bad? Or are you doing what you were meant to? And if you remember from earlier that the serpent is the companion of the great goddess that's eating the dust, it's eating the dust, it's eating the filth, it's eating the the things that are not good for us, the things that do not serve us well. So even in this lens of distortion and appropriation and patriarchy and misogyny, we still see the goddess healing and regenerating and renewing, surviving the story for so long. Number 15, verse number 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring will attack your head and you will strike at her heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your labor pains. With pain, you will give birth to children. So again, this is just the misogyny, the hostility. It's saying it's taking away agency and spiritual authority from women. Women were priests of the priestesses of the goddess. So if they're saying, if Yahweh is saying the serpent and the woman are at odds with each other, they're hostile to each other, that is taking away that connection spiritually between the serpent and the great mother. And again, he's cursing, air quotes, with labor pains. But again, is it a curse to function in ways you were meant to? Labor is painful. That's why it's called labor. It's work. It's hard work. Verse 16, I will increase your labor pains and with pain you will give birth to children. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. But to Adam, he said, because you have disobeyed your wife and ate from What? I'm sorry. Because you obeyed your wife and disobeyed me and ate from the tree, which I commanded you not to. Cursed is the ground, thanks to you. And painful toil will you eat all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, but you will eat the grain of the fields. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust, you will return. So this is, remember earlier when I was saying uh, in the episode about Genesis chapter 2, where 
the gods tell Adam that he is meant to work the fields. So this was not laborious, physically demanding work. That just meant that he was responsible for cultivating it. It was not until now when Yahweh curses him that he actually has to do strenuous agricultural labor. And this is also where we see agriculture as kind of the downfall because with agriculture comes the rise of land, ownership, private property, capitalism, and the kind of the destruction of things. So this is pitting the woman and the serpent against each other because it's taking away a sacred symbol from the divine feminine. It's elevating the divine masculine above the others. Yahweh is now singled out as being the one true God, whereas before there were many gods who were benevolent. Now this one God, quote, true God, is Yahweh, who is very vengeful and punitive and demanding. It's elevating men above women, and it's causing all of this chaos and destruction. So the real curse is not sinfulness, and it's not the serpent. The serpent was the ally of the goddess, of the great mother. This is Yahweh specifically, so not God or gods, but Yahweh specifically, who is a god of war, a pre-Christian Canaanite god of war, who is causing all this havoc and chaos and destruction because he does not feel that his rules were obeyed. Okay, verse 20. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord Yahweh made garments from skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And Yahweh said, now that the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God Yahweh expelled him from the orchard in Eden to cultivate the ground from which he had been taken. And when he drove the man out, he placed on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden angelic sentries who used the flame of a whirling sword to guard the way to the tree of life. This is where most modern forms of Christianity has the root of its problems, because this is where people get inherent sinfulness. This is where they hold up Yahweh as being the supreme and only God, even though he is angry and vengeful and wrathful. Whereas the other gods, the Elohim, the many gods, were benevolent and forgiving and merciful and gave everything that was needed. There was an order. There was a peace. But now there's the slaying of animals. Now there's the working of the ground. Now there is the taking away of what was the birthright of humanity. And now they have to suffer and die. It's very sad, but it does contextualize um, a lot of things. So let's, let's analyze this. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Eve uh, means life giver or life giving in Hebrew. So the explanatory clause giving the reason for the name Eve um, is basically just saying she's the mother of everything, of all human life at that point. So Yahweh made garments from skin. Remember that prior to this, everything that lived ate only plants. There was no killing of animals, but Yahweh killed an animal to make clothes from their skin. Um, and this is again showing that there's punishment. And the man has become like the gods, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to stretch out his hand and to take from the tree of life that he will live forever. 
Um, a better Hebrew translation would be, now if he stretches out his hand, um, it's elliptical, showing that it was within a reason that he could do so, which is why Yahweh had to prevent him from doing that. So this verb from uh, expelled, that Yahweh expelled him, it comes from the Hebrew word shalak, which means um, sending out, that he was sent away. And this is kind of a, a play on words from earlier when Yahweh called to him saying, where are you? He summoned him and now he's sending him away. So again, it's doubling down on like you are being punished. Um, so he was sent out from the orchard in Eden to cultivate the ground from which he had been taken. When he drove the man out, he placed on the eastern side of the orchard in Eden angelic sentries. So the eastern side, um, directions in ancient Israel were given in relation to the east rather than the north. And again, this is a reference to earlier polytheistic things because as some of you might already know from listening to the show, the moon rises in the east, the goddess is saluted in the east, and that is the directional orientation that was standard at that time was to reference the east because it was a salute to the mother goddess. So there are these traces of her that have survived thousands of years of patriarchy, just like the serpent story. And he placed in the east angelic sentries. The Hebrew word um, sometimes is cherubim. And the cherubim in the Bible seem to be a certain class of angels. And their main task seems to be guarding and protection. They're guarding the way to the tree of life. Um, Later on, we'll see that the curtain in the tabernacle of the temple was embroidered with cherubim as well. And this was guarding the way to the inner parts of the temple. And they use flames of swirling swords to guard the way to the tree of life. Um, a better Hebrew translation would say the flame of the sword that turns around and around. And flame is why it's whirling, because it's burning, it's fire. And we see this later on in Job as well. Um, so this depicts the sword as moving from side to side or burning very intensely to prevent someone from passing through. So to recap, because that was a lot, we see the distinction between the Elohim, the council of the many gods compared to Yahweh asserting himself as the only authority. The serpent is vilified as being the tempter and being evil. Um, later biblical writers will equate him with being a Satan, even though that's not true, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but the serpent is the companion of the goddess. It's a symbol of life, death, and rebirth, of healing, of medicine. So the serpent gives Eve the fruit to open her eyes to the tyranny of Yahweh. And then Yahweh doesn't like that because he's authoritarian. So he banishes Adam and Eve from the garden and he places guards to prevent them from having the tree of life, even though that was something that the other gods had given to them. Um, because we see that the prohibition was only to eat, uh, was only not to eat the tree of knowledge. They were allowed to eat from the tree of life. They were entitled to that. But Yahweh punishes them and says that they can't have this thing that they were entitled to because they had deferred to the wisdom of the mother goddess, which he did not like. So, um, main takeaways is kind of Genesis chapter three is where Christianity takes on its patriarchal monotheistic tone for the first time. And this is where we see a lot of violence against nature, against the earth, against women and against other gods that are not Yahweh. But I hope this sheds some light on a story that has been grossly misunderstood uh, and grossly misled 
and I will see you guys next time when we talk about the next chapter.